Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What are we talking about today? <laughs> I don't know. I think we're just going to talk about random stuff. And just yeah, random. let's do a bullshit sesh. I like that. Random random stuff. Did you listen to my podcast? I haven't yet, no. The one that you just put out today? Yeah. The one that I couldn't make yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I just did an ISIS thing. Well, not really an ISIS thing. I kind of just went and freestyled on um, what's going wrong right now in Syria and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Vice just did one yesterday on um, on the pretty much the same topic about the YPG, the Peshmerga um, guys, yeah. and it was pretty good actually. They what I really love about Vice is that they'll send people into the fucking war zone. You know, um, it's crazy shit. Uh, but they were talking about like how how they're like doing a final push to to wipe out like the um, ISIS fighters, but like a lot of the the little villages and shit that they that they're holding up right now there's like a lot of places for them to hide and what the isis people will do is like figure out ways to circle out like specific outposts and like you know they're doing a pretty good job <laughs> at that like in the vice um thing that i saw like the they got overrun and they had to retreat and shit it was pretty crazy well the sdf just used white phosphorus over a village in eastern syria yeah that's right so that they did that, and um, it killed a couple of civilians because, like, white phosphorus. Yeah, it's like it's used for illumination purposes. It's used to like for for uh, like troop position and troop movement, and to right. get them into smoke different grenades. Yeah, like smoke that, grenades. Yeah. But I mean, that shit's like napalm, man. Like that gets on you. It it it, it kills you in a way that you suffer. Like it just doesn't right. blow you up. It like it burns you to death and it seeps into your organs and you die of organ failure. It's terrible. So it wasn't really reported, to be completely honest. I had to get that from Sputnik. I had to get <laughs> from, from from Sputnik News. I I saw that on Press T V, which are, you know, Russian and, and Iranian backed television stations. Right. But I saw the video from an Asian uh, outlet in China. So I was like, this looks pretty real to me. And the U.S. and, and U.S.-backed forces have have a pretty long trail of using white phosphorus. Like, they used white yeah. phosphorus a couple of months ago on some mission. I forget what it was. They used white phosphorus um, 
over Raqqa. They use white phos- uh, phosphorus over Mosul. Um, I mean, they used. I mean, they the U.S. backed forces and the United States have been using white phosphorus forever. So yeah. it, it's not. It's interesting like to see surprising. how they how they justify it when they do get caught and they have they to denied like, it. answer to it. Yeah, they denied it. It's 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 interesting. And when they when they're not denying it, they're like they're basically saying like, oh well, you know, it's a war zone. <laughs> like we got to do what we got to do. I mean, when they get caught, they got to say, like, you know, we need to ensure the safety of, of U.S. coalition forces going into, high, like, highly hostile areas. Um, that village was, you know, filled with X, Y, Z number of, of hostiles and, and ISIS who were extorting and killing the civilian population. Like, you know, something like that where, where mm-hmm. they try to push it underside. But, I mean, it's not... It's not a toy. Like, it's not... I mean, what's the difference between using that and a drone strike? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the U.S., we bomb the shit out of places in Syria every week. Mm-hmm. And we kill a bunch of civilians. You know, we, we mm-hmm. kill, like, 10 to 20 civilians. I mean, we killed about 20 civilians a couple of weeks ago in some drone strike. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is, is that white phosphorus, it, you suffer when you die. You know, right. it's like pour, pouring salt on a slug where you slowly, mm-hmm. slowly, slowly just melt to death. So that's the made, that, I mean, that's the problem with it. But, I mean, it is what it is at the end of the day. It's not like we're going to stop mm-hmm. using it. It's not like anyone's, like, really going to call it, anyone out over it. Because... Yeah, and, and, and to your point, I don't think any, it, it's not regulated particularly, you know. Um, like, there's no ban on it. Um, I think there's a ban on, on particular applications of it. Like, you can't use it like like napalm <laughs> but um you know those inadvertent effects end up happening there's no specific treaty in white phosphorus that's the that, that's the thing like there's no there's nothing that just like strictly outlaws white phosphorus it, it outlaw like all the the bills or all the treaties or uh, that or agreements that have the language white phosphorus in it they're all in accord to like incendiary weapons so they don't right like how you can have a flamethrower in the in the yeah. military but you can't use it against people you can only use it to like clear brush or like you know whatever exactly so there's like a gray line so you can get away with it legally right there's other weapons that you can't get away with legally at all <laughs> yeah like cluster bombs yeah like barrel cluster bombs, bombs. Bar- barrel bombs cluster bombs barrel bombs ba- you got a barrel barrel bombs what's a barrel bomb <laughs> Barrel bomb is just a literally metal a barrel. barrel. It's literally a barrel <laughs> with IEDs in it that explode. <laughs> what an invention! They're not it's very crazy. accurate. <laughs> it's crazy that they. You, you would have thought that they would have had something more than barrel bombs in Syria. I mean, you got to use what you got to use. I guess it, it, I don't it's know. definitely definitely not a precision army. Like they're no. a good. They're a good army, and I bet they're a damn good army now. Like if they weren't a yeah, good army in 2014, they they're they're yeah. fucking damn good army now. They're probably one. It's, I mean, Iran's definitely the best army in the Middle East. Um, no, no, no. Israel's is the strong has the strongest military. Then Iran. Then we're looking yeah, at. It just depends on what lens you're looking through. I think Israel's the most advanced army in the in the in the area. Um, if we're talking about just like brute force, I think Iran probably wins that one. They well, absolutely. People, Actually, I mean, Turkey, shit like that. Turkey is probably the best army has, has the, has the, like the, the best right balance now. of shit. Speaking of Turkey, let's talk about them for a second. <laughs> uh, I sent you this earlier. Um, 
So we've been talking about, you know, different weapon systems. We've been, we talked about the S300, S400. We talked about the F35s. Uh, we've talked about our sale of weapons to, you know, different countries. So we, we spoke about this in a, in a previous um, podcast about how, uh, you know, Trump is thinking about um, pulling out of a deal with, um, with Turkey uh, to sell them F-35s um, because they're purchasing the uh, S-400s. And now a bunch of, um, like, uh, uh, advisors on the U.S. side and even some allies, some NATO allies, are, are pretty much pushing for that to kill that deal. Um, and the reason why... Uh, and it's a pretty interesting technical reason. It's like when when Turkey buys these S four hundreds, S three hundreds, things like that, they're not just buying the the, the tech and then you know, just the Russians go home. Like they're gonna consistently support their systems, right? They're gonna have to do trainings. They're gonna have to do, you know, uh, uh, updating the technology for them, you know. Uh, and there evidently is a risk of them gaining intelligence information about f-35s that would that they can then expatriate to their countries and basically it would be like giving russia some info on how to take down f-35s and like their whole their whole deal is to you know the whole f-35 like uh, uh benefit is its stealth technology right you know being undetected but if they can some if turkey also has f-35s and the s-400s then it's there's a potential that some data can leak across there, and Russia would get some information on how to take down F-35s, which would be terrible. Unfortunately, though, Turkey says that this is a done deal. They're definitely going to buy these these weapon systems, and they already have two F-35s. Like they don't, they haven't purchased the rest of them, but they already have two of them. So if this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, so it's a pretty interesting military tech update there. So what are they going to do? They're just going to like fly some f-35s around in like the in the in the radar radius of uh the the s-400 and just like see what they can do by trial and error i mean i think what the concern is is that you know when they ship the uh, s-400s they're going to also set up the radar systems for them right and those radar systems will be on and collecting data right and if they just so happen to fly an f-35 somewhere in the area you know the the uh, if Turkey happens to fly one of their F-35s in the area that is being monitored by the S-400s, it's potential that it could be collecting data on the F-35. You know, even if it's just a little bit of data, that data could potentially be leaked to Russia, whether intentionally or unintentionally or otherwise. Because remember, the Russians are going to have to come over and like teach them how to use the system, teach them how to set it up, like you know, shit like that. Support it over time. Like it's not it's not a one and done deal, you know. Uh, so that, that's the concern. And they already have, they already have the two F-35s. They are about to get some S-400s. So yeah, that could be a problem. Well, I got two words for you or three words, three words for you. I'm not sure how this is pronounced. 4D chess. (laughs) You know why? Why? Because we're not going to ever use the F-35s anyway. (laughs) <laughs> because they don't work. <laughs> you could take all the state on the F-35. They don't work. Um, I don't entirely believe that. I, I've kind of like been, tr- I've been trying to be objective about the F-35 just because I know I've been, I've only looked at the F-35 in the lens of like a libertarian where sure. it costs a lot of money. You know what I mean? Sure. 
and you know there's all these incidents about the plane crashing and stuff like that but like i'm trying to think about i was talking to this guy in, in the navy and um i i was i was like hey like what do you think about the like he knew about all the stuff and he, i was like what do you think about the f-35 and he was like a real guy he wasn't giving me a bullshit answer um he was like hey listen like i understand the gripes about the f-35 and I understand you're not, it's not a Maverick type of plane. I'm a Ma he's like, I'm a Maverick guy myself, but this is not a Maverick plane. Um, I prefer Maverick planes, but you know, the, the type of guys that are going to be in this plane or who are going to be piloting this plane are going to be dorks. They're going to be like computing. They're going to be managing drones. They're going to be, you know, take their, their radar is going to be off. They're going to be computing back information. It's like an mm -hmm. entirely different thing that they're going to be doing. They're not, you know, this is, they're not flying they're not like dog Tomcat. Right? You're not dogfighting, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not going to ever come into go into a situation where they have to get into a dogfight. So, if you look at it objectively, then the F-35 does have a purpose. So, it, I, I kind of took that, I, I thought about that, and now I'm, I'm looking at it objectively. Despite that, though, I don't think it's worth the price tag. Yeah. Like, I still don't think it justifies the price tag, but in reality, the plane wouldn't cost that much. It's just the way that, you know, our crony capitalist system works, you know, like mm -hmm. they, they serve out parts, different, different parts to make them as, as expensive as possible. And they tie up politicians so they can't, so they, um, so, so they, they can't kill a, the deals. Yes, right. They can't kill the deals. And, uh, so, I mean, the plane itself is just like, it's just a symptom of, of, like our economic system of, and uh but i'm trying to look up at the plane itself as if it weren't that type of project you know what i mean like if it was a normal yeah. upgrade yeah i mean like uh, i feel like I, I did a pretty good job at trying to be objective in our episode of f-35 and it is a really dope plane like objectively it does have really really great tech it will serve a really interesting and new purpose and i think you know the u.s you know military uh, and its NATO allies are trying to basically upgrade the way we think about, you know, um, modern warfare in the skies. You know, like it, we don't have to dogfight anymore. You know, now it's more about like uh, being the the technical prowess, right? So we kind of do need the dorks in the sky. You know, like uh, it's it's not it, it's not the same. It's not your daddy's warfare. You know, it's not your granddad's warfare anymore. You know. Um, it is a really good plane. To your point, though, I, I can't I can't get around the price tag. Like it's so fucking expensive. I feel like we could have this technology for a fraction of the price, you know. And when when we think about shit like, um, like when we talk to uh, Doctor Zubrin, for example, um, about going to Mars, right? And he talked about how Elon Musk, you know, was able to do, uh, you know. Uh, a mission that George W. Bush wanted to do for a fraction of the cost at a fraction of the time, you know, um, and is excelling beyond beyond ex all expectations. You know, I, th I think that we, we can do better. We can do better on that price tag. We can do better on, you know, that tech. I don't disagree with with this. This could just be the painful, expensive mistake that we make now to get us to you know the 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 future warfare but like never again <laughs> i never never want to see this shit happen again well i think what the mic does is that they try to make it the most expensive weapons not necessarily 
the best weapons. You know what I mean? Like, they try to make the most expensive stuff, not the best stuff. So, you know, you hear all these nightmare stories about government contractors with, like, you know, like $800 hammers and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, you ever hear those stories? Um, like, the issue – like, there's a really good movie. Uh, you ever hear that the Bradley fighter, uh, fighter? It was, like, a all-purpose, mm-hmm. like, Humvee type thing. That was – okay. There was a movie made about it called The Pentagon Wars with Kelsey Grammer. I'm not I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it was made in the early 90s and um it's just about like this this Bradley fighter mobile. I forget the tactical name of it. I think it's called the Bradley Armored Fighting Vehicle. Yeah, the Bradley Armored Fighter Fighter Vehicle and it ends up being kind of like a piece of shit, but it it's <laughs> But the way that the MIC is structured and the way the deals that are in place, it ends up being just incredibly expensive. And um, I mean, I'm, it's a real story. It's a real, it's a real thing that happened. But this, the F-35 just seems like a Bradley in the air. Okay, so I pulled it up. Bradley armored fighting vehicle. Yeah, we have a lot of AFVs. Um, let's see how much does this thing cost. Of course. I'd have to do more research on it. Might be, might be an interesting topic. Maybe I'll pick this up another time. We we still need to do Toyota trucks. Yeah, that's true. I spoke about it briefly yesterday. Oh, did you? You spilled the beans I, a little. I didn't go into technical detail about it. Um, I I just talked about Obama's non-lethal aid package and how he gave in his non-lethal aid package he gave uh you know that, that included a bunch of Toyota trucks which. He gave to the FSA, and then, um, I mean, and uh, they defected, and, and that ended up getting into the hands of ISIS. Yeah, you're going to have to sh- send me the research on that because I'd love to take a look at, like, exactly how many and shit like that. That'd be interesting. I think it was, like, it was like in different doses. Like They sent the first one. Obama started giving those non-lethal aid packages in 2015. So at first they were at first like ISIS was being funded by I mean ISIS had a lot of opportunities to get weapons um when they were kicked out of Iraq because ISIS is just al-Qaeda in Iraq with the rebrand they're exact the exact same organization like al-Qaeda in Iraq wasn't it wasn't al-Qaeda al-Qaeda Osama bin Laden al-Qaeda you know, it, it, like there was an Al Qaeda in Iraq, but they were uh, they were like the original. They were the original Al Qaeda. They were up in Kurdistan, Iraq. Um, Al Qaeda in Iraq was like an organization that formed in, in the two thousands after after September eleventh. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that they were the ex Republican Guard members, all the military and the police and. The bureaucracy that was fired after the 2003 invasion, because what we did is that we just went in there and we fired the Republican Guard, and they became the leaders of the rebellion in Iraq with you know with you know the insurgency from 2006 to 2008. Um, what we did as a strategy is we did this thing called a surge, where we basically had this big troop deployment. We we sent 30,000 more troops into Iraq to you know this to settle the peace 
But in reality, all we did is we just paid off the Sunni warlords to fight for us. Danny Gerson was talking about this with us, uh, right. with, with me. Um, but in reality, mm-hmm. like they, David Petraeus just came up with the idea, like let's just pay off the Sunni warlords. So eventually, Al Qaeda in Iraq they lost their support and they were booted out. But on their way out, and and while they were also in the, in the insurgency, I mean Iraq had. Iraq is a heavily armed place. Not saying that people have a Second Amendment there because they don't, but right. But they, you know, just as a fact, they have a lot of weapons there. Well, you know how many weapons? Like it, the history has flown through in the last like twenty, thirty years. Yeah, a lot. I, Iraq has been in, con- in a constant state of war for fifty years. Yeah, they've been in a constant state of war since nineteen eighty. And so you have all these weapons from. Now the U.S., Russia, France, England, everywhere—they're—they're they're from all around the country. It's not—it's not just one country. Like most of the ISIS, most of the weapons that ISIS had, they were like Soviet-era weapons. They were like—they were like AKs and shit like that. Um, but they were able to just like go when Saddam's government fell. All those weapons depots—they were unguarded, right? And they ended up getting so them. Like free, free. Free shit. It's like on Halloween when you leave out a, uh, a bucket of candy and you say, only take one, and, you know, pretty much 15 minutes later, you got no more candy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they ended up just getting all the weapons from the from Saddam's stash. Yeah. So they, they – they, when they got into – when they crossed the border over to Syria, that's when they rebranded to ISIS – and when the war broke out, there, you know, you can, you can, I'm not going to get into like the more conspiratory elements right now because I'd rather do it with like sources and stuff. Right. But they eventually were getting weapons from the United States. And, you know, you could just say that there's definitely a, um, you know, plausible deniability between that and the United States with their funding from the U.S. But, I mean, mainly they were getting them from, stuff that was going into the opposition that we were supporting, a.k.a. the moderate rebels. So, like, the FSA... Right, and pretty and much, I mean, men- even if you didn't want to fault those quote-unquote moderate rebels, you know, for defecting, um, even if you didn't, when they lost, they also lost all of those weapons that we were, um, that we were giving to them. You well, know? there was, so like, like... There was, was part so of the spoils many- of war, you know? Well, there there are so many different factors to it. So yeah, of right. course there was there was people from the, from these moderate groups that just straight up defected to ISIS. Um, right. ISIS was also killing these groups, so they just took right. their weapons. And when ISIS went back into Western Iraq and sacked Mosul, and they just took they, picked, there. <laughs> they picked up the scraps from the Iraqi army. Right, I, Mosul was filled with thirty thousand troops, and they ran away, and they left all their shit. So then right. they had the Iraqi tanks. army wasn't wasn't very well prepared, but they certainly were armed for sure. It, yeah, a lot they of people were, were joining well the armed. Iraqi. Yeah, a lot of people were joining the Iraqi army because that was like one of the only places that you can get like a steady income. You know, like they, they weren't there to fight war; they were there to just put food on the table. A lot of them were. Well, they fired all their seasoned soldiers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what happens? And what happens when you fire all your seasoned soldiers? Then you 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 don't have the culture, the military culture, to extend to right. the new recruits coming in. Like like take for example World War Two. 
um, on the American side. So the U.S. Marine Corps kicked ass in World they War still II. They still do. <laughs> they still do. But I'm just saying in World War II, they kicked ass. Right. The Army were kind of uh, mediocre. The German Army was better than our, our Army. Mm-hmm. Let's just be objective right now. Like, we won out of, like, just pure force pure numbers and things like that and the fact that Germany, right. German was being, <laughs> German, Germany was being crushed and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because like the Marine Corps culture, that was built over a really long period of time. Mm-hmm. Like that was the Marine Corps culture was built over it, like we we created the Marine Corps in the what late 1700, early 1800s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The army went from like 100,000 people to 2 million people overnight. Right. When the war started. So there's a bunch of fresh blood, you know? Yeah. People that don't have that culture. And the Marine and the Marines, they were a lot more selective at who they picked. Like right. who could be a Marine. So it ended up They still up, are. They they still are a lot more selective, but I'm just saying like there's a culture that has to be passed down to a military. So you can't just have a military overnight. That's why Iraq was able to be sacked. Why? Why an army of thirty thousand, thirty thousand guys was able to get sacked by an army? I forget the exact number, but I think it's like six hundred or something. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be I'll like being a college football team, and your entire team is just redshirt freshmen. You know, like. Uh, and then you you're were fighting give up a whole lot of touchdowns. Yeah, and then you're, <laughs> and fighting, you're fighting NFL. NFL players. <laughs> yeah, you're fighting you're fighting adults who are ready to tear your head off and eat your organs and rape your mother and do all this right. crazy like just war-hardened just brutal warriors. Of course that's going to happen. Yeah. The same things happening in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan, I actually wanted to talk about Afghanistan today because right. but I'll just so in Afghanistan we artificially created that army. Mm-hmm. That army can't do anything. Yeah. That army's terrible. And once the U.S. leaves Afghanistan, if we leave, I think we are going to leave, they're going to be sacked. They're going to be destroyed, demolished by the Taliban. Well, aren't they, like, in talks right now with the Taliban? I heard that they're they're starting up um, some new talks with, uh, with the U.S. about... Um about pulling out so saw that on vice news the other day so yeah i mean they've been talking for a while but i heard that those talks have been picking up though yeah there's a lot more pressure so there's a bill that was recently i mean there's a bill that's going to be proposed and it's going to be proposed by uh ram paul and um a democratic senator i'm gonna pull this up um tom udall of new mexico and um basically it is a, I'll read it right here. This legislation would declare victory in Afghanistan as Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011 and Al-Qaeda has been all but eliminated. According to the Department of Defense, by 2000, 2009, there was less than 100 Al-Qaeda left in Afghanistan and at June and uh, a June 2008 Defense Department report stated that the few remaining Al-Qaeda core members are focused on their own survival. So uh, uh, this is interesting. It says that um, within one year, a $2,500 bonus will be paid to all members of the military who have served in a global war on terrorism. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, twenty. I mean, 25 that's not too shabby. Since 2001, more than 
3 million men and women have been deployed. Uh, this would be a one-time cost of approximately $7 billion and an immediate savings over 83% when compared to the current yearly cost. So they're basically saying, like, we're going to we're gonna pull out and pay the soldiers. <laughs> I like that idea. It's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea we're for politics either. We're saving 83% on our car insurance by switching to GEICO. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bad idea um, if you want to get that bill pushed because you're going to be able to have the moral yeah, high who's ground. Gonna say, yeah, who's going to say no to paying off veterans of the global war on terror? Well, the best thing about that is that you can be like, well, what are you saying? You don't support our troops? <laughs> you can say that's a Republican. You can say that to the Republicans because you Rand know, Paul and Udall, they they know what they're doing. You got to attack the right from the right. That's the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. You need to attack the right from the right and the left from the left. That's the only right. way to, to to convince somebody. You can't attack. You can't attack a right winger who's a war hawk, or maybe not necessarily a war hawk, because you're most likely not going to be convinced if you're if you're so far. Um, in that direction but if you just if you want to convince a mainstream conservative um about to uh disagree with u.s foreign policy you got to say things to them like you know come on don't you support the troops like don't you want to bring them home don't you want to see dog videos don't you want to see more barbecues don't you want to save some more money i thought you were conservative you don't want to you know do you got to attack her from the right if you go at them like you're some pussy liberal and be like, war is murder, no war for oil, no war for oil, then right, they're just going to look gonna at listen. you and be like, oh, you hippie liberal. Right. All right, then, so, so, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, let me get into it. So, yeah, so this deal is coming out. Not this deal. Um, they're going to try to push a bill in to end the war in Afghanistan. Um, we're, we're already in talks We've been talking to the Taliban for a while, and the deal that they're offering right now um, is really the same deal they've been offering all along. Um, once you withdraw from the country, we'll stop shooting you. And that's that's what the Taliban's deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's really it. But what, what I find really interesting is that um, the Taliban— they refuse to speak to like the the Afghan government in Kabul, right? They're, they're talking to surrogates vis-a-vis yeah. the United States. They like they completely see the government in Kabul as an illegitimate state. Like they want nothing to do right. with them. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And um, I mean, that's pretty much it. Well, so here's the thing that that I learned. It was not necessarily that, you know, when you leave, we'll stop shooting you. It's more of like, we will stop shooting you, but you have to leave now. And the U.S. is more like, we'll leave, but we'll leave on our, like, in a timeline that makes sense for the, for our, you know, for our interests. And so that's really where the sticking point is, you know? So the U.S. Yeah. Would, would rather withdraw over the course of a year or two and maybe maybe even longer depending on the logistics of it and the taliban would prefer that they leave in like six months 
you know? Well, well, so another thing in that agreement, in the deal, the Taliban agreed to not harbor any international terror group again. Right. Which they have a pretty damn good reason not to, because look what happened for 17 right, years. Right, right. Don't, they don't like them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're ever going to harbor a group like that again. I don't. I don't think there's going to be. I think they. I think they've learned their lesson after 17 years of brutal warfare. The main issue with this, with this though, is is that um, is that of Kabul. Like, I don't think there's any type of condition, or or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just not reading the right stuff. But uh, I don't think there's a condition uh, that even addresses what's going to happen in Kabul. Like the capital of Afghanistan. Well, I mean, clearly, when we pull out, they're gonna—they're either diplomatically or by force—they're gonna want to uh, issue, like, force a referendum in Kabul to redo the government because if they—if they don't see them as legitimate and the U.S. isn't there to prop them up anymore, why wouldn't they? But why do they even care? Like, why do they even care about who's in charge of Kabul? Like, it's not like they—it's all about Kabul, power, man. Uh, yeah, but they don't—they can't govern the Taliban. No one can govern the Taliban. They just but gotta if the say, Taliban governs itself, or if they, the Taliban has a larger stake in governing governing Afghanistan, that might be that might be feasible. Yeah, but Afghanistan is not like a normal state. Like it's shaped. No, I like, get it. It's it's shaped like Colorado. There's mountains. There's there's forests. There's it's just like a really crazy terrain there. Everyone's separated. It's, it's very tribal, right? It's very, very tribal. It's all different ethnic groups. There's, you know, there's Pashtuns, there's Tajiks, there's Haziris, there's um, Uzbeks. Um, there's like all these different ethnic groups there. And the Taliban, I mean, they're they're just, they're the Pashtuns and they're the majority. But like the other ethnic groups combined together, I mean, they do have a majority over the Pashtuns. I think the Pashtuns are like 42% or something like that. But um I think they just got to say, like, hey, like, the Taliban, you guys can hang out in the Pashtun territories. Like, we're not going to do anything to you. Like, you know, go ahead, govern yourself. And uh, you don't have to have the burden of, of uh, you know, worrying. You don't have to worry about what we're doing up in Kabul. But in reality, that's not going to happen. And I think the problem is, is that, People are talking about somehow getting some type of, um, like, inserting the Taliban as, like, a political group. Like a party. This, <laughs> like, right. And, like, the Taliban is not a political party. They're an army. Right. Well, I mean, they very easily could transition into a party that's not, you know, that's not unheard of in history, you know? it's not. It's not unheard of, but, like... What's the point? Like, what's the point of tal- the Taliban? You, you, of- so I'll ask you a different question. All right, the Taliban is is a is a army. Okay, fact. What would the point of an army be if there is nothing to war against? Right. So the, I mean, there's gonna they'll be- need something to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they'll they'll need to change their you know their organization because if there's nothing to fight against, then might as well move to politics you know like they're most likely going to fight with each other like dude the taliban is not like this is not a western um secular group this is the taliban is i'm I'm gonna just i'll just say it they're they're probably one of the most backwards groups in the world (laughs) like they're probably one of the most backward groups at the groups in the entire world 
They most of them are illiterate. I think the I think the percentage of Taliban that can read is probably around ten percent. A lot of them are addicted to opium. A lot of them. There's plenty are, of opium in Afghanistan. There's plenty of opium in, in <laughs> Afghanistan. It's partially um, our fault. There, there's so much isolation in in the in the Pashtun territories where you can live in one village on one side of a mountain and discover and not know that another village on the other side of the mountain even exists that may be like, you know, five miles away from you. So that's the that's the situation in 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 um with the Taliban. They're just not you're not going to be able to insert them into the government. I think when reality, what's going to happen is that we're going to leave. And then the Taliban is going to either just straight up sack Kabul. Or they're going to do like a, like a Trojan horse type of thing where they're going to sneak in. Because they, they're very good at this. Like they're very good at like getting inside and blowing shit up. And, you know, they, they, don't, they, you know, they killed General Razak. A couple of months ago, they almost killed Stephen Miller. Um, they're very good at getting inside and killing, you know, go, you know, high priority targets. They've definitely mastered that. I think they're going to sneak in there, and then, you know, a hundred thousand people are going to die. I think I think there's probably going to be a civil war in Afghanistan once we leave. Unfortunately. And so, does that mean we have to come back? <laughs> no, it's just it's just shows you why regime change. Okay, okay. Stupid. I'll, I'll rephrase that. So I said, does that mean we have to come back? The no. answer is no. But let me rephrase that to say, does that mean we will probably come back? I don't think so. so I think if we leave, I think I think if we leave, I don't think we're totally going to leave. To be completely honest, but like, or maybe well, we that will violate that'll violate the terms of of whatever deal that they're trying to work out with the Taliban. And I was just curious, like, how you feel about that, like pulling out. And and kind of the talks that are happening right now with the Taliban, you know, so do we just like pull out and be like, yeah, here, here are the keys, like do whatever you want, you know, like, how do you feel about that? I I feel that we should we need to get the fuck out of there because like it's going to happen because you're talking about a a permanent residence there. You're, you're saying you're talking about just occupying that country for the rest of history. Right, I'm not. I'm that's not the only. That's the other that. alternative. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not in favor of that, but I actually, I actually do think that there's probably like that's that's probably a false choice. I don't think that it's either stay forever or, you know, leave 100. percent Like there, there, there's got to be something in between those. That's like a happy medium, which we end up doing with most countries, which is we leave a couple bases there, you know, to keep things in check, so we have a spring off point, so we can come back if we have to. Um, so that we can, you know, have relations with all the sides so that we can train forces if, if need be. That's probably the most realistic midpoint between the two, but I don't think the Taliban wants us there at all. They don't want that at all. They want us to leave completely. Like, they're pretty – They're the main points, what they want and what they agreed with, they want us to leave. They said they'll stop shooting us. They'll stop attacking us. Um and they'll never, they'll never sponsor, or they'll never not sponsor, but they'll never harbor um, international terrorists again. That was their agreement. I don't think there's going to be any. I don't think there was, or there is anything about the fate of Afghanistan as a whole. Uh, so maybe like two state solution, <laughs> a two state solutions, you know, or Talibanistan. <laughs> 
Taliban, like a Pashtun stand, and then a Tajikistan and a Hazara stand, or there's already a Uzbekistan. But like, I mean, do you want to balkanize the the area? I mean, then there's just the the fear of them raising armies, and they're smaller states, and they're they're you're, they're easier to bully. Like, I mean. You don't want to well, clearly nobody, so so clearly being being unified isn't is hasn't been doing them any good, you know, for like the last fifty years, right? Like no nobody really nobody really governs Afghanistan. It governs itself, you know. Yeah, in nobody si- governs in it. siloed in siloed ways, you know. So I mean, what would the difference be? At least if you broke it up, you can be like, all right, well, Kabul is one thing, and like the rest of it is another thing, and uh, don't fuck with Kabul. <laughs> that's it you know yeah i mean maybe they should it's, it's not like afghanistan is like a thriving economy anyway right maybe they it's maybe not like they, afghanistan is a unified culture anyway yeah maybe they should have a pashtun stand and a tajikistan but they want afghanistan like this it's been a afghanistan has been a country for a long time yeah, yeah. um but that's what happens when you have these but that's like, up to them though of course like we can't force this down their throat i'm just like throwing options out yeah there. well you know well, they don't want the, the Pashtuns don't want to talk to to the you know the other the other three major ethnic groups there. So, I I don't know. I I just think that we should we should just say, all right, guys, uh, good luck. Uh, maybe we'll draw a line um, around. Uh, we'll we'll draw a line across uh, Kabul and say, hey, just promise you won't sack this and and kill everyone here and and then leave. But Unfortunately, there's probably just going to be a civil war there. Like, that's just the reality of it. Um, I think that not only Afghanistan is going to go into turmoil. And, like, this is not, like, an argument for, for like, intervention. Right. It's not, this is not, not an argument for intervention. Just like, oh, well, we just need to stay out, there indefinitely. It's an argument against— out possible situations, yeah. Yeah, it's an argument against intervention. Like this is what happens when you do when, when you do intervention. Like when you say the argument, like World War Two. Well, how about World War Two? Intervention worked during World War Two. Well, that's not an argument for an intervention. That's that's an argument against intervention because it's against intervention in World War One. Because if the U.S. didn't in, intervene in World War One, World War Two never would have happened. So it's like. This this is just gonna this is just that. I think what what's going to happen in Afghanistan and I think in Iraq too soon. Again uh, in Iraq, Jesus. Yeah, I think again. I think Iraq is going to. All right, but if we don't if we don't jump in, all right, let's assume we don't jump in, right? We take complete isolationist or even anti-interventionist posture, and we say, all right, cool, we're pulling out of Afghanistan. That shit collapses. Potentially. Iraq collapses because of the reasons that we we pointed out before. Who steps in, if anyone? You know, I'm not saying that someone should step in, but I'm asking, if someone steps in, who is the most likely to step in? Well, God help whoever would, <laughs> because everyone who has who's ever stepped in Afghanistan, ask the British, ask the Russians, now ask us. It's always ended up bad. So I don't. I think that the world community knows that they wouldn't want to touch that situation with a ten foot pole. 
They're not, no one's going to be eager to jump into Afghanistan. Like, oh, let's jump into Afghanistan. Let's see what political influence we can get in there. Let's see what deals that we can make. Let's, oh, let's get some, purchase some land and start building some stuff and all this. And like, yeah, this is going to be great. Um, they know, I think most people know that that building will probably be blown up. At some point. Yeah, at some point. Probably immediately. You're prob the people probably building that will probably be blown up while constructing it. So it's like no one's gonna want to touch that. And yet, like the country, if the country goes into chaos, and and like the the sad thing is, is though, is that that army that we created, that we artificially created, is just like this paper tiger. Yeah, it's like it has it is just highly ineffective, and that's why. The Taliban, they were going after these high-priority targets. They went after the guys who were super effective, like General Razak. Right. But the guys who were really effective, they were also warlord monsters as well. Right. Like General they, Razak. They just happened to be on our payroll. <laughs> yeah, they just happened to be on our payroll. Like General Razak was a guy. He was really good at what he did. He was really good at hunting the Taliban. The Taliban were terrified of him. But he indiscriminately killed villagers. He sold drugs. He did all that really nasty stuff that the Taliban did. He just did it in a, in a different uniform. So it's it's just yeah, it's a fucked up situation, and like they're gonna they're gonna have to settle it themselves. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's a vote for some group to succeed or 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 whatever. Like I, I mean, I think the best thing to do is that those they let the they let the Pashtuns just live in autonomy, and then they 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 kind of go, go they go along with their affairs. Easier said than done because the fucking Taliban are warlords. But so I don't know. I don't know much about this. You might be able to help me with it. But um, of of the areas that the Pashtuns are 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 you know basically controlling, of the areas that the Taliban are controlling, is there any like economic benefits to those areas where it would negatively affect you know? Um, the world economy or even just the regional economy to have those split up or you know it would negative negatively affect the region economy or the world economy to have them in in any turmoil like i don't know what <laughs> like i don't i don't know what things they export or like what benefits they give to the rest of the world so i'm i'm, I'm curious about that like i mean what suffers there's really not like any oil like afghanistan was wealthy in like the 13th century because it was a prime trading route, right? Like now it we was just like fly a, over that shit. <laughs> yeah, it was like a prime. It was a it was a place where you used to trade silk, and there was a lot of wealthy villages and like the d during the period of the Silk Road. But mm -hmm. you know, after the Mongolian invasion, um, you know, all those people were spread out. They ended up in like Iran, and you know, some people even went up to Turkey and all that. So all that that group that was in Afghanistan during the medieval times was like they were kind of dispensed. Um, now there's the most valuable thing in Afghanistan is their opium. Yeah. Like Thanks that is their most valuable export. <laughs> Didn't we set up the majority of that shit? <laughs> yes. Well, there was, they had it before and then the Taliban burnt the opium and then we went back in there and, and, and started facilitating, started facilitating growth again. Um, because the CIA uses opium, apparently. 
I never, I don't, I never look into these like these these things, so I don't really like quoting them as much. But that's um, the conspiracy theory. The word on the street is that the CIA uses the uses the opium to finance their uh, covert activities. Their mm-hmm. covert activities that you can't go to Congress to get money for. So that's that's like apparently the the reason why. Uh, Afghanistan is important because of the opium trade. I guess it's, I guess in a Machiavellian sense, and it's like kind of it's kind of weird to see the Syrian war and Afghanistan kind of wrap. They're they're winding down at the same time because Syria is a war of like a lot of covert ops, at least from the U.S. Like with the U.S. Right. sponsoring a lot of these different groups and sponsoring um, just these different groups with plausible di- uh, deniability like um al nusra right and you know different moderate groups moderate groups i know you hate saying that word <laughs> the moderate <laughs> rebels um so it's kind of weird it, it's kind of weird to see them wind down because you can you can make the connection like oh well i guess that the syrian war is over we don't need to fund these crazies in syria anymore so I guess we can shut down the opium trade, but I mean, obviously, I'm not. I haven't like connected the dots with those yet to prove. We don't that. have the documents yet. <laughs> I don't. Ha- I don't have the documents. Um, but I can see people jumping to that conclusion. Like, yeah, we can shut down the opium field now because the CIA's budget's going down. We don't need to fund ISIS anymore. Well, that'd be an interesting. So I mean. If this is true, then that that bill, that deal, will get killed at in some one way or another. Well, I mean, most likely it's it's kind of like a uh, it's more. I mean, let, let, who are we kidding? Like Congress can't do shit when it comes to the war theater anymore. Like when's the last time Congress has been effective in preventing a war or bringing the troops home? It's always or starting a war for that. Or start, even starting or, yeah, a war for that matter. Or starting a war for that matter. And I mean, it's always executive decision. It's always come. It always comes from the White really House. Really shouldn't be, but it should. Yo, it absolutely yeah. shouldn't. But that's just the way it is. Like yeah. Congress, it's the Senate, and it, the House is fed up with the war in Yemen. Yeah. There's been multiple attempt, like, and Trump, Trump wants to support the Saudis. So. Well. I have some opinions about that. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. It's probably the worst thing that we're doing right now. It's 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 the worst humanitarian crisis that's going on in the world right now. And yeah. uh, it, we should stop selling them F thirty fives to to bring this full circle because they've also got the S three hundred. So the same problem that Turkey's about to have is a problem that we're about to have. That Saudi Arabia is about to have. But no, no, we need to make money and sell them a hundred billion dollars worth of. Military technology, including F thirty fives. The thing, the thing is, though, is I think I think that Trump has some sort of he has some sort of loyalty to Mohammed bin Salman, or or there's some about his loyalty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I agree, I completely agree with you, but I'm just saying like, this is why I think he's doing it because it, it it's like he contradicts his actions contradict themselves you know he right. does one thing over here it's like okay I'm, we're gonna do this we're gonna um we're gonna wind down the war here and we're gonna 
but we're, we're gonna still going to continue. Yeah, we're going to ramp up the war here. Mm-hmm. And it's just a little, it's just kind of weird. His actions are very strange. Like, he got so much heat for Syria. Right. Because he campaigned on being on being against on not being there, right? Anti- yeah, on not on not being there. He's always been right. vocal about that. And then he dropped sixty four fucking tomahawk missiles on it one day, and just like, hey, he, he did do that. <laughs> he did do that, and I think he was playing along with like the 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 neocons there, and in like in the in the pressure from within the White House. But I think right. he can't. He got to that moment where he's like, I don't want to be here anymore. Fuck this. This is just desert and sand. Like, there's no. There's nothing that we can profit off of here. Like, get let's get the fuck out of here. Just kill the rest of ISIS and let's go. That's basically what happened. He's like, how much mm-hmm. ISIS are left? How long is it going to take to kill them? All right, kill them and go. Let's go. But with uh, with Yemen, I think there is a lot of... I mean, I don't really know the full story, obviously. I don't think anyone does because if you... If you're saying that you know the full story that's going on with the Saudi royal family, then you're most likely lying. But I know that they had like they had a relationship with MBS before he became crown prince, and they booted they booted Muhammad bin Nayef out. Right. Um, I mean, the Saudi relatively well, quickly too. Yeah. Salman was- Salman Salman changed the order of succession to from bin Nayef to bin Salman, and and bin Nayef was like a Washington guy. You know, right. he was like an establishment White House type guy who had a great relationship with us. Um he was trained by the CIA, he was trained by Scotland Yard. He was a he was just a the guy that the Washington established types would want to be the, the new king of Saudi Arabia. There was a hammer thrown in that. Named Mohammed bin Salman. And there was a relationship between him and Kushner um, prior to him becoming crown prince. So it, it almost seems, uh, seems that – and Greg uh, Gregory Gauss, who I spoke to, who I interviewed about um, the rise of Mohammed bin Salman, he said that there was a, a calculated effort from the Trump administration where they identified Mohammed bin Salman and they put pressure on the Saudis and the king to, to uh, change the order of succession. He said that mm-hmm. the Trump administration actively did it with their ties with him. So, I mean, I believe him because he's one of the the big experts on Saudi Arabia in the world. So, right. or at least in the U.S. So, uh, I kind of I kind of tend to believe that narrative. What's interesting about that, though, is that MBS pulled out of Syria because Saudi Arabia. They were the main, I mean, Saudi Arabia is the main ideological base for all those extremist groups. They're the main ideological base for all those really, really nasty Wahhabi groups that murder and kill and throw gays off buildings and, you know, implement Sharia law and, you know, uh, do the genital mutilation stuff and just like the worst, like the worst type of thing that, like the average conservative will be like, oh, Muslims are coming and taking over. Oh, Sharia law. Well, Saudi Arabia is actually the basis for the most extreme, hardline version of Islam, Wahhabism, and that's what all those really bad rebels adopted. They also have a lot of cash, and they also were actively funding a lot of those really bad groups. 
MBS stopped that. MBS said, I want to concentrate on Yemen. So he moved that to concentrate on Yemen. He stopped funding the rebels in Syria because he thought that the war in Yemen was more important. So it sounds like, it just sounds weird. I just find the obsession with Syria so perplexing. Like the obsession of the Assad must go camp. Like, why must Assad go? Like, I, I, I'm just, I'm having trouble understanding it. Why must Assad go? Like, what, what reason? Like, what, he is not worse than any of the allies that we have. He is not worse than fucking Erdogan. He is not worse than the Saudis. He is not worse than uh, Netanyahu. He is not worse than, like, any of our other Middle Eastern allies. So, Where's why? Where's what moral high ground are we standing on with Assad? I guess that's my uh my rant. Yeah, I mean, my my only re- re- remarks on that is I don't think that there necessarily is a moral high ground. But we were using it. We, we were we we had a moral high ground when we were talking about Assad's like use of chemical weapons and how he's killed so many people and all this I mean, stuff. just political political nonsense to to justify you know action now obviously some of that is true you know um and and there's plenty of bad actors in the region it's just like we could come up with reasons to intervene in any of those regions in any of those states just the same way that we did with Assad I think I mean I kind of agree with you I agree with you in the sense of like why Assad why not other people but I also kind of agree that Assad wasn't necessarily the best person either. Uh, something need to be done. Whether or not it was supposed to be us that does something, whether or not we did the right thing is a different question and open for debate for, in my opinion. But you know, it, it could have been any of those states. It could, we, we could be intervening in Saudi Arabia or in Yemen if we wanted to for the same reasons. You know, We could be pushing harder in, in Afghanistan for the same reasons we could be Shit, we can enter in Iran for the same reasons, you know, like, shit, there's, there's, it's just a matter of, like, uh, what you're, what you're saying kind of makes some interesting sense and, and, and is bringing up some ideas in my head. It's like, we're winding down in Syria, we're pulling out of Syria, but we're leaving the whole issue in Yemen alone, and, and that's what the, what the, what the U.S.'s position is, is right now. And it's kind of lining up really well with Saudi Arabia's position, you know, like they they pulled their their money and their support and their influence out of Saudi out of uh, Syria, and now they're focusing on Yemen. You know, there's some parallels there. I'm well, I think if, so- they're, if they're related, I think Saudi Arabia pulled out because they saw the writing on the wall that they were going to lose. That once the Russians got into the war, I think I think the writing was already on the wall that Assad wasn't going to go. And um, so, so I think they kind of cut their losses. And, and MBS, as much as uh, people shit on him, I think he's a pretty smart guy. I think he's just like a—I think he's very um, brash. But I think he's pretty smart based on the moves he's made. I, I just think he's too young to have the position he is, and he's overconfident. Um, so he saw the writing on the wall, and he says, fuck this, let's just concentrate on Yemen— because in reality, like, Saudi Arabia doesn't give a fuck about Syria. Like, they they find it way more important to just... The only reason why they were in Syria in the first place was to was to, to, to throw a fucking rock in, in Iran's trail. I mean, right. that's the reason like why Israel's there. 
Israel's there. That's why the U.S. was saying all this, like, you know, because of Iran, because Iran and Syria have been allies since the 1970s. Um, and they've been loyal allies since the 1970s. That's why they've been so anti, anti-Assad and, and that whole, that whole troop. But the Saudis, it's more geopolitically important for them to concentrate on Yemen because they're dealing with a real situation with the Strait of Hormuz. Right, we talked so about they that. Find it, they find it more imperative to settle what's going down in Yemen so they can, make it, they can get an oil pipeline down. And, uh, I mean, what's their game plan? Are they just going to take over all of Yemen? <laughs> they want to get the Houthis out of. Um, they want to get the Houthis out of uh, the capital, and they want to install their president, the the puppet president they have, so they can do whatever they want. That's really it. The U.S. is going along with it because the U.S. is just they don't have they don't care about Yemen. They don't. They're like Saudi Arabia. They don't. The U.S. has never had a Yemen policy because Yemen is just like Yemen doesn't mean anything to the U.S. They're they're just not important. So they just have a Saudi po- policy. They're just like, you know, it's like a country. Be friends with Saudi Arabia. That's it. Yeah, That's it's just like yeah, we're friends Yemen. with Saudi Arabia, and they're gonna do whatever they want, and they're one of our closest allies. And like, all right, do what you want. We're not gonna. We're. I mean, tr- Trump's first trip when he became president was to Saudi Arabia. Mm. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off. An eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. I still want to know what we get out of this deal. Yeah, we talked about that, dude. I, I just still want to know what we get out of the deal. Why, like, it's seeming really one-sided here. We're not really getting very much out of this. What deal? The deal with like, like, Saudi Arabia? Like, yeah, like our friendship with Saudi Arabia. It made sense in the past when we were, like, aligning on oil for oil reasons, but, like, that's irrelevant now. And And if it's not irrelevant now, it's going to be irrelevant very soon. Well, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we're allied with with Saudi Arabia. I think number one is because it's not necessarily because of the oil that we consume. Because oh no, it's the, never the, been about the consumption of our oil. It's it's always about like controlling the oil market. You know? Yeah, it's more about it's controlling the global oil market. That's number one because Saudi Arabia they have the second biggest reserves in the world um, after Venezuela, but they, they're the biggest importer, or excuse me, exporter of oil in the world. Uh, I think it's just more because of, yeah, I mean, the, the controlling the global oil markets would probably be number one. Um, number two be, is that... It's going to be so irrelevant in like 20 years. It's going to be c- completely irrelevant. 
What the oil markets? Yeah, dude. I don't think completely irrelevant. I don't think that oil is gonna be irrelevant in twenty years. I do. I don't. I don't see too many countries, especially China included, are pushing for you know um, energy independence from oil. That's not gonna happen in twenty years. Sure. Well, calling it now. (laughs) <laughs> I I I think that's a pretty bold prediction. I, I if anything if we start adopting nuclear energy and start taking that seriously right now then yes. Well, that's that's precisely what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like fucking solar panels and shit which will play a part, but I'm talking about like China's making several nuclear power plants right now. Lots and lots of them. One one particular kind, thorium reactors, which I'm really excited about. Thorium is is readily available everywhere um, and is really, really effective nuclear um, uh, fuel and uh, mitigates a lot of the risks of nuclear power, and they're building a lot of them. And I just think that maybe we should do an episode on that because I found it fucking interesting. But I usually look at, like... I, I look at China, like, shit that China's buying, shit that China's doing, like, I pay attention to that shit. Because, it, you know, we, we used to be the shining, like, example for, you know, technology and shit like that, but that's no longer the case. What they're doing now, the infrastructure they're building now, the things that they're doing now are going to make a difference. And they're making them right now. They're already starting. So. Well, I mean, I... God bless nuclear energy. I mean, I'm down. Like, if we start adopting that, if it works, and if China's and, leading the way right and there, and we're coming, that's, I mean, we're not fine, super close, cool. but we're not super close. But Dr. Zubrin, who we had on not too long ago, was talking about how, you know, um, small entrepreneurs are really going to start pushing for, um, and already are pushing for, making a solution to fusion energy, which is different from nuclear fission energy, and fusion energy is a as a concept itself will completely disrupt the oil like on 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 the face of it we'll have to talk more about nuclear energy i think because that part is super important i don't think that that oil is going to be relevant in 20 years whether it's a, uh, nuclear uh whether it's green energy or a combination of both i mean look at look at saudi arabia's own plan vision 2030 right they're trying to shift away from their from their oil experts there's a reason for that it's not going to be relevant yeah i think they're i think they're shifting i mean yeah they see that the writing on the wall in the future then if we adopt nuclear energy then yeah oil we will lessen our dependence on oil but the energy demands are so high i just see i just don't think it's very likely that we're going to have enough nuclear plants the power of the world economy. Well, trust in me, we will years. because because oil is finite. You know, oil is absolutely finite. We only have so much of it. There, you know, you can't recreate any of it. We have a hell of a lot more material. Say, for example, just in thorium, than we would ever in 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 oil. Twenty years is such a sh- is not a long time though. Moore's law, man, shit accelerates at a as a, at a crazy ass pace. 20, 20 years is just not a long time. There's still going to be, there's still going to be 
markets and economies that are still using oil 20 years from now. Oh, still absolutely. Going to be, I'm not going to say that we're still going to be an oil it. market. Not, not going to say we're not going to use it. I'm, gonna, I'm telling you that the prices of it will inflate to a point where it just won't make sense to continue to invest in it. And it's not about it's not about like what how we consume the energy. It's about like how we're investing our money and our and our political interests. So in twenty years, we're gonna be like, hey, this oil thing's not working out anymore, and we'll be and most of the world economies are gonna be shifting their interests and their investments elsewhere, and that will effectively kill it off. Will we still use oil? Absolutely. Will it be relevant? Will it be as politically relevant as it is, you know, today or even twenty years ago? No. Well, yeah, Saudi twenty. You said twenty uh, Saudi Vision twenty thirty, right? They sort of do see the writing on the wall, and I think right. that does that had to do with in two thousand fifteen the price of oil was like thirty bucks, like thirty two dollars a barrel, right? Um, I mean now the price is like fifty five or fifty six dollars a barrel. I haven't checked today, but it's um, it's a lot higher. Mm-hmm. When I mean, the, de- the demand for it's going to go down, but when a government like Saudi Arabia doesn't have when when the price of oil goes down and they don't have the same oil revenues then their whole state structure will will collapse if that happens over a prolonged a prolonged period because their whole society depends on they're like the ultimate like this welfare state sure like they 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 get obedience from their society from dishing out social benefits yeah they skipped over the arab spring for that reason they paid, the yeah. they, they paid off the Arab Spring. They paid off the Arab They bribed everybody. Yeah, I get it. But that's more to my point. Like if Saudi Arabia themselves understand that they cannot sustain a nation around oil, you know, in that respect, MBS is smart enough to understand that. China's making huge investments in, in alternative energy. We, as objectively speaking, have a finite supply of oil, generally speaking. And you know, uh, advancements in alternative energies up to and including nuclear and fusion are advancing at such an accelerated pace. I don't see oil as being as politically relevant, which to my earlier question makes me wonder, what are we getting out of this deal? What are we getting out of friendship with, with like blind friendship with Saudi Arabia? What do we get in return? It's not a blind friendship because it's also, we also have military bases there. We've had military bases there. We want military bases everywhere. (laughs) Well, but it's also because like when we when we really so we've had an alliance with Saudi Arabia since the 1940s, since World War II, and it started because of oil. But we realized in the 70s they could weaponize oil. During the right. oil I mean, embargo, we, we keep coming back to oil, and I'm, I'm trying to make the case that oil is not going to be relevant. But but that but I'm I'm trying to make the case we ended up because of that we ended up creating we we ended up we ended up having a closer relationship with Saudi Arabia, um, and we ended up using them for things like translators and stuff like that, and just there's a lot of other things besides oil. But yeah, oil is number one. Is yeah, I mean, number I guess one as reason. a as a hypothetical, if you were to, you know for a moment agree with me and say that oil won't be relevant right let's take that hypothetical and pretend that oil is no longer relevant like what do we get out of this deal now well they also buy shit from us too can they buy can they continue to buy shit from us without oil revenue 
No. <laughs> they so can't. what are we getting out of this deal? Again, like I'm trying to think about the future. It's like they're already, you know, like they're they're doing some pretty fucked up shit right now. The likelihood is that they'll continue to do fucked up shit. If oil's not relevant and 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 they can't buy anything from us because oil's not relevant, what are we getting out of this? Some bases. I'm, in, I'm, I'm <laughs> interested. I'm interested to see what the future of Saudi Arabia looks like. I'm I'm very interested in seeing what that society looks like in ten years or twenty years. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing to cover. Um, yeah. So all right, I gotta piss soon, but I do want to talk. I have to piss soon. That's that's my reason for cutting off. But I did. I wanted to talk about one thing before before, uh, <laughs> or I'll just ask you if you've been following this. Okay. Um, the Kashmir crisis with India and Pakistan. Oh yeah. So my my first um. My first thing that I want to say about that, and hopefully you can put this in the video, is that fucking pilot from uh, from India. Did you have you seen a picture of this guy? No. He has the most. Look him up right now. He has the most ridiculous facial hair. Just just take a look at him. He has this ridiculous mustache. Please look at him now. <laughs> Indian pilot. Yeah, just write Indian pilot. You'll. Probably the first thing that pops up. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is the first shit I saw when I was reading about this, and I was like, I couldn't take the article seriously because it was fucking facial hair. That handlebar mustache, bro. I don't even know. Like, who who told him that's cool? <laughs> I want to know who gave him the idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! One of the pic- one of the one of the pictures, if is of him at a barber shop getting shaved. You know those memes? It's like, let me get that. <laughs> let me get that. Indian pilot look. I got you, fam. <laughs> Let me get that Mario Kart uh, speed boost. Have <laughs> you ever seen that one? <laughs> the Mario Kart, the Mario Kart speed boost type that Google. <laughs> Say no more, fam. <laughs> no. Um, yes, I'm. F- I'm following the Kashmir situation, but uh, I'm sorry. I had to. I had to interject with that because I thought <laughs> it literally distracted oh the shit out of me. For it, it's funny oh, as hell. Yeah, that. That's hilarious. Um, so what was I going to say about it? Oh, yeah. So I, I honestly haven't really been following it that much. That's that's why I'm bringing it. That's why I'm bringing it up. But um, I wanted to know. I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on the whole cashmere situation. But, like, I don't know right. if you have anything to, to interject prior. So uh, all I understand is that <clears throat> there was some operation in Pakistan that was done by India to hit some terrorist group, right? And I think the first time around, they were just like, yeah, whatever. Go for it. But then that escalated somehow, and then Pakistan captured the the pilot. That's what I understand from from what's going on with the situation, and, and, it, and it's kind of heating up a little bit. But, uh, again, I, I've only... I've been more distracted with the dude's mustache and <laughs> less... Uh, um, paying attention to it but you know obviously both of those nations are nuclear nations so it's really important to pay attention to what what did you get out of this 
from what you've read. It's, it's just identity politics, you know what I mean? Just it, it's the two groups hate each other, and this land, this Kashmir land, is there's there's like it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful land. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful mountains, but it's not important really. Like there's no oil there. There's really no natural resources. Um, what I do know about the situation is that in, they fought three wars over this piece of this piece of land between in, India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Um, just it, it's like my I'm pretty. I don't really I don't follow India Pakistan politics too much. And uh, last time I commented on it, I got fucking chewed apart, chewed apart by a bunch of Indian people <laughs> about Hindu about talking about Hindu, Hindu nationalism, nationalism, which does yeah. which does exist, which absolutely does exist. Um, there's a lot of terrorist groups in Pakistan. Well, I'll just say that out first. There's a lot of terrorist groups that that in Pakistan, and Pakistan does is known for having like a shadow type government. You I mean, yeah, I didn't mean? we get Bin Laden in Pakistan? <laughs> yeah, we got Bin Laden in Pakistan. There was this really weird situation with Saudi Arabia subsidizing their nuclear program. They are the ones that trained a bunch of, like, it was in Pakistani refugee camps where they trained the Taliban. It's a lot of fucked up stuff that you can just bring up over many, many, many years with Pakistan with their, like, weird shadow government that's involved in terror and sponsoring different things it's just it's it's a lot right. well let's we, we let's have to do, do a whole episode on yeah we'd have yeah. to do a whole episode on that and, and just make sure we had our sources straight um however i i just know that in Kashmir, it's it's occupy it's the it's predominantly muslim and and they're treated like shit by the hindu police there like they're just like there's like all sorts of really bad stories from there about like rapes and and people being publicly humiliated, stripped, and all this fucked up shit. So I just I'll I'll just leave it at that because if I comment any further, I'll probably get myself into hot territory. You're probably already in hot water, so we're gonna have to do some research and talk more about this in a in a in a full episode. And yeah, I'll be sure well, to do some research on why the hell that fucking pilot decided that was a good idea to cut his mustache I, that way. I was gonna. I was gonna actually talk about another very hot water topic, but um, I'll, I'll probably save it for the next episode. I was gonna talk about the BDS movement, but I think I'll save that. Okay. <laughs> but I do. I do have some opinions on that, but that will. We'll save that one. Well, if I do a whole episode on the BDS movement, the episode will be taken down. Uh. <laughs> We'll save that for another you know it's true. session. You know it's you know it's you <laughs> yeah, know it's true. Yeah, yeah. You know we'll get flagged if you Probably. even say that. If you yeah. say the word BDS, you're fucking. So let's uh, let's rename it to the uh, BDSM movement, and then the we BDSM won't... movement. Yeah, you gotta speak. In, you gotta speak in codes. Right. Whenever you whenever whenever you talk about bdsm the, the, B, BD, the bdsm movement all right good yeah. we'll just call it that for now on there'll be no confusion over it um <laughs> but I, I wanted to talk about um i wanted to talk about um why does her name can uh, escape me now uh the, the congresswoman who just got in trouble the muslim congresswoman oh yeah omar something something omar omar, omar yeah. Al, um alan omar 
Yeah. Yeah, Alan Omar. Like I'm really bad with names. It doesn't really help yeah. me with this with this uh with this podcast. But <laughs> Alan Omar, she's in trouble for for criticizing APAC and I think it's insane how people are going her. after her. <laughs> it's yeah. I did love her clapback. I thought I thought her clapback she doubled down on that shit on Twitter and she was like, I'm sorry, but I didn't sign up to defend the interests of a of a foreign nation. <laughs> I signed up to do shit for the United States of America and I was like, Oh shit. Alright. <laughs> I it's it's like Come on. She didn't say anything anti Semitic. Nope. Everyone knows that. No no one can take her her tweets, the all about the Benjamins baby tweet. That's the one that she got in trouble for. Yeah. As a like an anti Semitic dog whistle? What the yeah. fuck? You can't hey, talk listen, about I... a lobby group and say that the lobby group is all about the money? Right, right. Or, or the politicians are all about the money, taking money like from a lobby group. Chosen words. I mean, listen. She, it's not even poorly all, chosen words. It's just like, it's all about the Benjamins, I guess. Is it because the name is Benjamin Netanyahu and he happens yeah. to be the prime minister of Israel? Yeah, definitely. Jesus Christ. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's it's this BDS, this anti, the, the BDSM. This anti-BDS, yeah, this anti-BDSM movement. Like not the the one that's the not the BDSM movement, the anti BDSM movie movement mm-hmm. is going to blow up in the face of that country in the Middle East that starts with an I. It's going to blow up in the face because people that didn't know what APAC was. Most right. people don't know what APAC is. If you talk most to people it, still don't know about it. <laughs> most people still don't know what APAC is, but now they know about it. Now it was because yeah. of this movement and like because of the of the of the response of the anti BDSF movement people and trying to put down the BDSM movement, people are becoming more aware of it and they're like, What the fuck? Like, are you serious? Like I wait wait, what? I need to I need to pledge that I need to buy stuff from this country with an eye in front of it in the Middle East? Like, come on. Yeah. Come on. That's the code that that's the code words that we speak in now. Yeah. They'll probably catch on to that though, but we just want to make sure that the YouTube algorithms don't cut like, you know, they spell that word out. All right, I think we'll leave it at that. Um I got to take a really big piss and I've been holding it in for like 20 minutes and um we didn't really do an intro on this, but that's cool. We'll just start it weird. That's fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll start it weird. All right, everyone, uh, rate and review the podcast. Um, we didn't really, like, tackle a topic today, but I guess we were both pretty tired. It was just one of the bullshit. So, um, yeah, uh, let us know. I, the other day I said uh, hit us up if you have any guys in, in mind um, for, for guests. Uh, some people have been doing that, and I appreciate it. And uh, any any closing words? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, share, subscribe, hit the bell notification so that you can get some notifications on all new bro history content. Um, this episode will definitely get broken up into a few different, uh, clips. So, you know, if you like consuming our content in short bursts, then that'll be the way to do it. Yeah. The YouTube channel, it will be in the link below. All right. Peace.
When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.